welcome to Sock Talk from Orange Socks, where we discuss topics affecting people with disabilities. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Neviger. In this episode, I had the great opportunity of interviewing Amy from A Doll Like Me. Amy hand makes dolls for kids. Now these aren't ordinary dolls. They are dolls that mirror the child they're given to. For example, if a child has a limb difference, the doll has that same difference. The dolls reflect the hair, skin, and eye color and unique characteristics of each child they're given to. She gets to know each child, and the dolls reflect her warmth and compassion and understanding of the child. Amy makes hundreds of dolls, and several of the people I've interviewed for Orange Socks have received dolls from a doll like me. I don't know anyone who's doing this type of thing and how affirming it is for the child who, through a doll, can learn they are perfect just the way they are. I know you're going to love Amy's story. How in the world did you get doing this? What's your background with people with disabilities? Do you have a child with a disability or? No, so actually I have my master's degree in social work. I did an internship. Back then it was the Exceptional Children's Foundation out in California. And then I did an internship that turned into a job at a children's cancer center. It's kind of one of those things where if you see a gap in the market and you have the skill set to fill it, you'd be remiss if you didn't do something, right? And so that's kind of how it happened. Well, there's only kind of unexpected. There isn't anybody else out there doing what you're doing that as far as I know. Isn't that, it's wild. I mean, really, what's so crazy is it's not like I'm making COVID dolls, right? Because that's a very new thing. People with differences have been around forever. It's so wild that the toy market, it's not changed in decades. And it doesn't look like the kids that play with them. One of the things I'm thinking of as I was looking at your Facebook page and all the stuff that you've done and examples of the dolls, it's almost like what you've hit on and I'm sure you've heard of this before, is that people are afraid to recognize the differences as if that would be somehow shameful. So if a child has a limb difference, for instance, then they think, well, I don't want to draw attention to that or whatever, but kids are cool with it, right? I mean, that's what they are. Actually, that's funny. I've never been asked that question. That's a great question because it doesn't happen so much on my page. I think the doll followers are very, maybe they think it, but they don't ask it. Uh But on some of the more public pages where people kind of feel like they can say whatever they want, people say, why would you want to draw? You're exactly right. Why would you want to draw attention to something that makes them different? And I think that is the million dollar question and that's why this has been so successful. Why not? We don't all look like a Disney princess. So why not celebrate that which makes us different? Right. And as if you had a difference, whether a a cranial facial issue or a limb difference or fingers, whatever it might be, as if that's shameful and it's not. So it's been about a year and a half ago. There was a journal that did an article and he didn't actually talk to me. So he just kind of did it based on what he read. The editor ran the headline and it said, mom makes dolls for girls suffering from self-esteem issues. Oh, uh. And it was so offensive. And so I actually called the paper and I said, 
I am not going to get behind that because that's not what I believe. And I said, first of all, it's not just girls, but I said, you know, the self-esteem issues are imposed by society, right? right? Most of these kids are born and they don't know. It's something that we put on them. So the problem doesn't lie with the child. The problem lies with how are we representing them? Who do they see in the media and how do they see that? How are we displaying these kids? It was an interesting conversation. And I tell this, especially to young journalists, because then I say, tell your story, tell this story of these kids like it's gonna go viral, because what if it does? And what if you can change the narrative? And so, and this was right when things were taking off. And he said, what do you want the headline to read? And I said, well, what do you want the story to be? Do you want it to be the mom at her dining room table or do you want it to be for the first time in these kids' lives, they're represented? That's a really big difference. And he said, we want the first one. And I said, you know, that's too bad because you have an opportunity to change the narrative for these kids. And he laughed in this true story. He laughed and said, do you really think your dolls have the ability to make a worldwide impact? And I said, and this is true. And I said to him, no, my dolls don't, but your words do. Mm. And it's so true how we portray these kids makes all the difference. Yeah. You know, the whole reason I have a doll business while I love making them, the reasoning is actually really unfortunate. It took Barbie, how many years? 75 years, is that right? To come out with a doll with a wheelchair or a prosthetic. Right. And how many hundreds of years have people had prosthetics you know so what the toy market looks like doesn't reflect what our kids look like no that's true and you know the one thing i mean well i've learned so many things about the interviews that i've done with orange socks because mostly what orange socks is about is championing the journey that families face it's not that it's not talking about the kids but it's more emphasis on the parents because so many parents feel isolated they feel alone and what I've learned over time, I'm also the parent of a child with disability, but it's that natural treatment. It's the, if your kid looks different, somebody coming up to you and saying, why does your kid look different? As opposed to not saying anything, ignoring you and playing like you don't exist. The latter is, is offensive, the former is not. And all the parents, you know, they love them and the kids have great self-esteem and it's because they've got great parents. And when people will honor somebody, and usually it's children do better than adults. They'll just come right oh, up. Oh, totally. You know, how come your kid doesn't have an arm or how come, you know, whatever. It's just a natural conversation. Anyway, I think what you're doing is awesome because you're hitting it head on as a natural sort of thing. How wonderful it is for the kids to see a doll that's like them. I mean, obviously that's what you're doing. And uh, I and it is, and it's funny because there's a little guy, if you've looked at the Facebook pages, you've seen Keegan and Keegan has the Nevis marks and his doll is Chip after chocolate chip because they've got his yeah. marks look like chocolate chips. And when he has his doll, the story isn't what's wrong with Keegan. The story is, oh my gosh, that doll looks just like him. And that's a really different narrative for a child whose psyche is developing, right? Right. You know, I come from a social work in a medical setting background. My husband is a child psychologist at Children's Hospital here. You know, we come at it differently. And if you're going to look at the whole child, the health of a whole child, it's not just medical. You have to look at emotional and mental as well. 
you know, that's the holistic child. And so for a child like Keegan, this is a really big part of him. And it's so amazing. And his mom documents that a lot about how that story has changed for them and how it helps him feel beautiful. You know, and he's just a little guy, but he knows that that's what he looks like. So when my little girl, we're not princessy people at this house. My husband and I are very feminist in how we raise our kids. So to have a little girl who adores Disney princesses was a bit of a, an adjustment <laughs> for us. But when she saw Cinderella, the first, and I'm totally serious, she was almost three. And the first words out of her mouth were, I wish I had blonde hair and blue eyes. Huh. And the crazy thing is that she does. She's our recessive trait baby. Huh. We're very dark. Uh-huh. She's got blonde hair and blue eyes. And I thought, she does look like that. How crazy that the child of these feminist parents would come out with something like that. It opened my eyes to what about the millions of kids that don't look like her? What are we doing to them? She wants to look like a Disney princess and the fact is, is she does. What about all these kids who never will look blonde hair, blue eye, fair skin? You know, an interesting thing is as you're talking, I'm thinking that we don't come in this world ashamed, right? Other people's reaction to us then might determine some of that. And then we then end up reflecting that back. I think it's so affirming to some of these kids to be accepted for what they are and who they are, not to be ashamed of what they are or the differences that they have, but to champion those. Because it's natural for kids. I mean, they just their esteem is great. We beat them down, you know, not talking to them or ignoring them. And in in one uh, interview that I did, the child had some tremendous facial issues. And some people actually would, teenagers would scream and run away. I mean, it's just terrible. The child probably didn't really have that much of an intellectual disability, but what a horrible thing that 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 happened. You know, you internalize so many things. That was so sad. That statement you just made about we impose that on them, you're so right on, you know, that they don't come into the world feeling that. Yes, and that's a problem with us. You know, that kind of goes back to what I was saying with this journalist. You know, they don't suffer from self-esteem issues innately. We did that to them. I think that that's something that we should be appalled about, right? We should look at our global community and say, this is appalling that we make kids feel this way. At some point, we need to say, okay, what are we going to do about that? When parents message me, and this is why, this is the million dollar question, why isn't a doll like me? Why is it one person? Why don't you have a team of people? And I think if you read these messages from people, it's usually a parent on the other side who's desperate for somebody to not say those things, for somebody to say, I see the same beauty that you do and I'm gonna capture it in a doll. These are not check the box kids, you know. I think American Girl is fantastic in terms of representing kids of color. It's in a class of its own because they have different shades, different hair. That's incredible. I also think we miss a whole group of kids with some type of a physical difference. Unlike that, you can't just check a box, you know. Okay, right arm, left arm, you know, right leg. Kids aren't like that. And there becomes this relationship between the parents and I, and you end up falling in love with the same thing that you're making the doll for. I look at these little hands and I think, oh, I would kiss that little hand too if I were you. 
And I think that what people want, it's just kind of what you were saying, don't run away. People want a relationship and they want you to see the same beautiful child that they do. I mean, that is exactly what Orange Socks does, right? That's your whole mission. Yeah. We want to show the beauty in these kids. Well, and what's interesting is I haven't had a sock story yet where the parents have concluded at the end of the day when all the, the money they spend or the hours at night or medical treatments. I've not had a parent yet conclude that it wasn't worth it, that it hadn't yeah. made a profound difference on them and that difference is for the better. Not one. Maybe there is, but you know, I haven't talked to any. I know my own journey with my daughter has made a profound difference on our lives, on the lives of my other children. What a blessing. Some people and some cultures, it's a curse. I visited some orphanages and previous communist bloc countries a while back and Iron Curtain stuff. And oh my, they're there not because they don't have parents. They're there because their parents rejected them. But yet they're wonderful. Anyway, that you know that's funny because that's an interesting thing because I have done a number of dolls, particularly albinism, with kids born in China. One of the things that I talk to the parents about is it's an interesting transition that when they begin to love the doll and accept the doll, it's a very important healing process for themselves. You know, a lot of them, and in fact, I remember one little guy hadn't seen what he looks like in the mirror. Wow. And so in his mind, you know, the people he saw at the orphanage were dark yep. and dark eyes. And so when he saw the doll, he just, he didn't even know it was him and kept insisting that that was not how he looked. And once, you know, they would show him the mirror and himself and the doll, it was a really therapeutic process in a really interesting way. It was something I'd actually never thought about before. That's fascinating. So that right. the dolls are therapeutic for the kid. And I find that actually with, and I don't say this in a very, it's my dolls or none. Okay. So I use my dolls because that's what I make, but dolls are very therapeutic overall. There right. just doesn't happen to be a plethora of Chinese dolls with albinism, you know, right. but that happens with kids. I just did one a couple weeks ago and she was burned on almost her entire body. And so to see the doll that looked the way she did was actually very alarming. And I told the mom that as well. I said, it's not going to be, she's not going to love it initially because that's not how she sees herself. This is a very fresh burn. This is not how she sees herself looking. And it, sure enough, that's exactly how it happened. And it actually became therapeutic for the siblings to take care of it, you know, as she got adjusted to it. And it's such an interesting piece, you know, when you talk about play therapy, that's the essence of play therapy right there. Yeah. Which is why when you do play therapy, you have to have something that looks like the child. When I did pediatric oncology, you wouldn't take a bald child of color and put a Disney princess, you know, Cinderella in their lap and say, okay, we're gonna just pretend that this is you and I'm gonna show you the things that the doctor's going to do. That What a disservice we do to kids, right? It's not a good fit. And we ask kids, especially kids of color, we ask them to do that all the time. But then you throw in the twist of physically looking different and how do you do play therapy? You know, how do you teach self-love when it doesn't even look like them? You know, what's interesting is that it's such a subtle message of intolerance. 
your example, you take the Disney princess and hand it to the child of color. That's so subtle because it's almost like, well, now here's a normal kid. You're handing yeah. the doll, right? And this is what they're going to do. Even though you may not say that, but the fact that there isn't anybody that looks like them really is a subtle message, isn't it? I mean, and you think of the studies they've done for decades about a doll of color and a Caucasian doll. You think about that and it plays out here in a very similar way. How do we develop self-esteem? How do we develop healthy and not just medically healthy? How do we develop healthy body images when who is portrayed and how they are portrayed is very, I can't think of what the right word is. It, kids look one way. When you look at kids, let's say that you're watching a movie, the child with the difference, the story usually is about the child with the difference. I think that it's only very, very recent where the child's just there. Right. But usually it's the story is about the child with the wheelchair, the child with the limb difference, not just, oh, cool. Part of the gang happens to be this kid. So I say that a lot, you know, who we see and how we see them needs to be part of our dialogue. There was a story, I think it was this last winter, you know, they have the toy fairs, the international toy fairs, and one of the leading ones did a story on the dolls. And I thought that was such a neat opportunity to talk about why it matters who we're seeing. You know, you very rarely see dolls with any type of a difference. That brings me kind of to a question then. How did you get started? Why did you decide that you wanted to make a doll that resembled a kid with some sort of difference? How, where did that come from? At that time, so we have three kids, and at that time we didn't have the third, but my youngest was in kindergarten, and I kind of thought, you know, what am I going to do? I've been sewing as long as I can remember, and I started making Raggedy Ann dolls that were different. And my godson is transgender. And so just for fun, you know, as he grew up, I've always joked, I'm going to make you love dolls. And so I made him one, a Raggedy Ann. It was a Raggedy Ann with green cropped hair and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle overalls, just as a fun thing. In my mind, I kind of thought, how come you've never seen something like this? And then I kind of was just making dolls just for fun. And somebody, this is how it kind of happened. You know, a friend of a friend saw it and thought it looked like her little girl, but her little girl had had her leg amputated. And so she said, you know, would I make one with a leg amputation? And I was like, absolutely. And I kind of did my research to see what was out there because I love dolls anyway. And really there, at that time, it was at five years ago, there really wasn't anything. And so I just did it not thinking, oh, here we go, this is gonna be a doll like me. I just did it. And she shared it and I shared it. And two limb different groups, pretty big ones were like, you know, there really isn't anything like this. I thought, you know, this is a need that I could fill. And so in two months, I actually had totally unsolicited. I had 200 orders and it was only for dolls with limb differences. Oh my gosh. So in the beginning, my dolls didn't have, you know, if you think of a Raggedy Ann hand, uh -huh. it's a, a rounded right. with a thumb. So my dolls didn't have fingers, but you know, you look at your fingers and you think there's a million permutations of this of 10 fingers, could be nine, could be one. And so I quickly designed a hand and that was kind of a turning point. 
and really, I mean, I've never done any kind of advertising. It's all been a word of mouth. Actually, after after that first 200, I've never been caught up. <laughs> I've always been in the hole. And it shows you how desperate people are to see kids, their kids, you know, the kids that they love in the face of a doll. I would go to the ends of the earth for my kids. I mean, I, I hear some of these stories of how these kids are treated and I'm not the parent and it makes me sick. I can't even imagine that burden for a parent. I can't even imagine. And I think if you feel like this might be what would help, I, I would want that too. So I started doing it. I mean, I'm at my dining room table. You know, our kitchen counter usually doubles as a hair gluing station. I mean, I sit there and I work on these, you know, every day. So it's just you that makes these it's dolls? It's just me. My mom actually helps me make some of the bodies. She lives out in California, and that's kind of to speed up my process a little bit. So really, in many ways, this is just a labor of love for you. Yeah. It's an individual, kid by kid. You're not mass producing. People are reaching out to you and saying, hey, make this doll that looks like my son or daughter. And you do that, and the basis originally was a Raggedy Ann, Raggedy Andy, right? But mm -hmm. I've seen your dolls. They're much more sophisticated than that. They're, yeah. They're awesome. They're very human looking, they're right? They're very human yeah. looking, yeah. yeah. How many do you make a year? Oh, man. Not as many. So my littlest is four. And then with our distance learning, it's been a little bit slower. But my goal is to produce one every few days. In an ideal situation, it would be one a day. But kind of while we're still hammering things out with being home, that changed things a lot. It's the question I don't like because I feel bad that my process is so slow. But I never did this with the intention of starting a factory. You know, I don't want to supervise people. That's not the love for me is not overseeing other people. So these dolls appeared in Oprah's magazine. Of everything I've done, that was the most nitpicky. You know, there was a reach out person, an interviewer, an editor, a photo person, a fact checker, a second fact checker. And I think it's because she loves her product right. that she's so meticulous. And I think I love my product. I love these kids. I can't see farming that out. And I feel really bad about that part. I genuinely do, but I never intended on having a factory. It just was not in my plan. I mean, if from a business sense, would it be more effective and financially? Probably, but that was never my goal. Did you actually incorporate a business or you're I just did. So the first thing I did, you know, this was what, five and a half years ago, was I bought the rights to the name. Because, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where I'm a social worker, my husband's a psychologist, the business, this would be a great like business 101, don't do this kind of a example, right? A case study of, you shouldn't do it this way. Because in the beginning, I never actually collected money until the people were able to pay. And if they couldn't, I was like, oh, well, but I did buy the, I own the name and I own the rights to the dolls simply right. because I thought if somebody sues me, I'm not going to be able to afford that. And so in terms of, I know that a doll like me is a business because I pay taxes, all of that. 
but I just really bristle at that word. I don't like calling it that. You know, technically I'm a business. I know I am, but I, I like to think of it more as a labor of love. Sure. So a year ago, April, I actually got approval to become a nonprofit. Oh, good. Because I decided that I think as a global community, this is a gift that we kind of owe these families. Yes. I tell people when they reach out, you know, the dolls are $100 plus shipping. But since last April, it's all come out of the nonprofit. Because I think, especially for some of these really heavy situations, I feel like it's wrong to say, all right, and now your bill is $100. It just has never felt right. And so for a long time, I was actually eating the cost because I thought this is just the way it's going to have to be. But the nonprofit at least gives me the flexibility to pay for my supplies and all of that and not have to charge people. I tell people now there is a long wait list and hopefully in three years, I'll still be in a position where I can offer it to you for free. But I do tell people that there is a cost just in case I get to a point where yeah. I run out of donations. Sure, good for you. See, that's ironically, that's what I got my doctorate in was management of nonprofit organizations. And so I oh. eat, sleep, drink nonprofits. That's Orange Sox is a nonprofit. It's part of Rise, which I started 33 years ago, which is a nonprofit. So I love the nonprofit space. And, you know, I would love to be able to assist and help. No, there's never a charge. I only take on the ones that I'm interested in. Then I see what I can do. But you've already done so much. So you don't need me that's neither here nor there. This is this interview is not about me. It's about you. <laughs> well, but. that's an interesting, you know, last year, Kalea, my little, so I have 15, 11, and four. And my thought was, you know, I'm technically a stay-at-home mom. I don't want to look back and say, bummer that I missed Kalea's toddler years. But the timing seemed right because of all the media. But I remind people, I have never been paid for an interview. I have never received a dime. And I think I have a really strong belief. And I tell my boys who are older, I tell them this, you have an obligation to your community to become an advocate. You really do. You may be put in a position whether you want you as a dad, you may not have signed up for that, but the fact is, is that's what you became. And I think that if you have an opportunity or you have a platform, you shouldn't use it to promote yourself. I did an interview and it's been a little over a year ago. And I remember I stopped the interview and I said, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with all of the questions about me. Uh -huh. Let's talk about what this means for these kids. And they had actually flown in this correspondent. It was funny. And she said, but the story is you. And I was like, but really the story is, why am I doing this? You know, I have an opportunity to talk about, you can go any number of ways. Number one, how do we advocate for these kids in a broader sense? Or two, how are you going to use your skill set to advance someone else? We all talk about, and this is what I said to her is, we all talk about wanting to do something, or hopefully we do. And I think that in this current political and social environment, the iron's hot. Yeah. So you have an opportunity to do something. What are you gonna do? It could be writing a letter. I mean, this could be something very small, but talk about that. We all have a skill set that we can offer someone else. What are we gonna do? And she was like, that's not the direction of the story. It was really funny. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, I respect that. You know, and that's the thing I'm thinking about with what you're doing is that I get your vision. 
because I feel that way too. I feel like I'm kind of a vehicle. It's not about me, it's about them and what they do and what people can learn to help other people. And that's exactly what you're doing. So what you're saying resonates just 100% with me. Please forgive me, but now my non-prop stuff is going. What are you thinking about in terms of like the future when maybe, do you have any kind of succession planning? Are, are you thinking about that? Or do you just want this to be you for as long as it's feasible and then uh, not do that anymore? I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious about that. I told my kids this too. You know, when I say I have to go work on dolls, I tell them, I don't want you to ever think that I'm saying that like, I've got to go work on these dolls. When I'm not doing them, I think about doing them. It, it's a genuine, I love creating. You know, I'm such a crafty person. So I get a personal charge out of doing it. I think in terms of, you know, that piece, I would like to be able to do this for a long time. And I always say when I don't feel for these kids anymore, it's time to hang it up. When these stories stop moving me, it's time to stop. I'm not there yet. And I, and I would have said the same thing about social work too. Once yeah. those kids stop affecting me, it's time. I'm burned out. I need to stop. But I'm not there. And I think that the advocacy piece has kind of been an added perk. I actually, Google reached out last summer to include a doll like me as a case study in a book yeah. that's coming out next month. You know, and I have to justify this to my board. And my board is phenomenal. You know, they can support whatever and with the understanding that this is not a mass corporation type of a thing. You know, I just need enough to get by. I need enough to be able to cover the cost of these dolls. We kind of talked about where are you putting your time? You know, I basically said to them, I have an opportunity to advocate on a global scale. I have to do this. If it takes away from sewing a little bit, I have to do this. Google has a huge reach. Does it directly relate to me sitting sewing dolls? No, it doesn't. But this could have a bigger implication. And so a lot of these things that I do, it's not to benefit a doll like me, because honestly, I'm not getting paid. Sometimes it brings orders in, doesn't bring in money, but this is a discussion that we need to have and I happen to be able to talk about it. So I've really enjoyed that piece of it. It's time consuming, isn't it? Yep. But I think it's really important. And we talked about things like I was going to a 4-H group and is that the best way to spend my time? Yes and no. It is if you're talking about whose minds do we want to change? Whose hearts do we want to change? And we want to change young people, right? And I tell them, my generation has done a horrible job. I'm going to pass the torch to you. And so I feel in that sense, that's how I need to spend some of my time. And fortunately, you know, my board is phenomenal. I got a letter the other day from a mom, and this was the first time somebody said this. And she said that her daughter saw somebody with a limb difference. And so she took her to my Facebook page to talk about these kids. And she said it provided an avenue and an opening for the little girl to understand differences. So I actually sent the screenshot to my board and I was like, you know, they've never questioned it, but I was like, she says it better than I did. This is why this is so important. And we changed one heart. Who knows what that little girl's gonna do with that? Is it cheesy? Probably. No, you know what you're doing is you are, you are changing the world one person at a time. And that's, that's as good as it gets. 
I think that's what's phenomenal. I just felt a connection as soon as I, it's actually my daughter, Rochelle is my daughter. She talked about this doll like me and I just got, this is way cool. So I admire you for what you're doing. I'm sure you've heard that many times, but that changing the world one person at a time is a phenomenal concept that I think we all think we've got to get a zillion followers on YouTube or whatever, but it really isn't about that. I mean, yeah, that is important, but really all of us can do is just one person at a time. You remind me, and this is totally off topic, but my son, who's 26, got into a confrontation at a service station. There was a, a young white boy that was in his 20s that was yelling, screaming, swearing at two Latino landscape workers that were also getting their gas. Everybody around them, now I wasn't there, I mean, I heard about it later, but was head down ignoring this obviously blatant racial flow of swearing and stuff at these folks. And he was inside, he just up and went right out and got right in the guy's face, said, you sit down now, you're the reason why our world is having the problems that it is, and made him sit there until the police came. And I wow. thought about that, and I thought, well, one, he put himself in danger, because who knows, the guy was a lunatic, he may have had a knife, a gun, or whatever. I'm thinking now how grateful, and I'll never know this, but of the two workers who were then the object of his fury were made to feel and how grateful they must have felt that someone came to their defense, that they may not have felt like they could come to their defense, but he could. Now, that's not something that I would do, but he's my son's big, strong, and so I, he had no intimidation of taking that detractor on. And I've thought about that, and it's that type of championing that will put an end to the racial nonsense that's going on, the discrimination stuff, the stuff that you're doing. In many ways, you're like my son, you're championing the differences and saying it's okay. And you're out there. I mean, my gosh, you've been interviewed by everybody. I mean, I don't have Facebook or Google talking to me. You know, I don't have, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, putting anything on orange socks in there. But you're just this humble person changing the world one person at a time. And that's so admirable. I just wanted to tell you that you probably get a lot of accolades, but you're not getting a lot of money. I really appreciate that. It always feels like you're talking about somebody else. I feel like there's two people. The other one you're talking about just hasn't totally sunk in yet. Because I'm going to go back downstairs and I'm going to probably unload the dishwasher and you know, <laughs> yeah. convince my kids that, you know what, I, I am a little bit cool, you know. But no, I appreciate that. And also with your son, tell him I'm proud because that's something I hope that my boys would do that. And we talk a lot about the word integrity. What are you going to do when nobody's watching you? What are you going to do when I'm not there? I'm proud. I, I know you must be proud. And I think when you can do something, you've got to grab the opportunity. And kudos to him because it made a difference. And who knows how that would have escalated. Who knows? It, that's the problem is nobody does anything. And we talked about that earlier too, where I think most people genuinely want to do something. People want to make a difference. We are a very self-serving society. We are a very selfish community. 
and we have a million reasons to not do something, right? We can think of, I'm too poor, I'm too busy, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too whatever it is. But we have to do something, and that's why, what you were just telling me, we have to do something. This cannot be our status quo, whether you're talking about race relations, whether you're talking about anybody with some type of a difference, this cannot be the way that we do things. And again, I mean, we have come full circle in everything we've talked about. Yep. We have to look at the whole person. How are we treating the whole person? We talk a lot about the medical piece of it, but how are we treating these other pieces which are equally, if not more, important? How do we treat these fragile psyches of these kids? And I know you've heard them too. You hear these stories and I think these are usually adults leading this. Why are we treating people like this? What have we become? When did we lose our moral compass? Kudos again to your son for doing something. Yeah, indeed. And what I've actually heard with some of the parents, uh, I've had parents who went out on Facebook or whatever to post a picture of their children and stuff, who then got these trolls that came in and oh, said, yeah. you know, you should have aborted this child. How dare you bring a child like that into this world? What a hateful sort of thing and that's as hateful as any kind of racial anything absolutely and you talk about discrimination one of the things that i'm proudest about with rise big nonprofit, is we do work development for people with disabilities to get them real jobs in the community the unemployment rate for people with disabilities is astronomical i mean it's like 78 percent or something like that people with disabilities don't have jobs well why? Well, because they've got this kind of difference or whatever, they can't do it. And some of it has to do with what's between their own ears. A lot of times it's that the disability between your ears is more than what's on your body. And so if they think they can and they're treated like they can, they can. And they're often very, very wonderful employees and do great things out there. Right. That's the whole person mentality. Right. When I did this 4-H talk, I will never forget this because this little, little girl asked me, and it was funny because they said, you know, you have 10 to 15 minutes to do a talk. And I was like, yeah, right. And these kids ranged from age five until 19. And there were probably, I don't know, 80 kids were quiet this entire time. And this very little girl asked me what the most difficult doll I've ever made was. Oh. I, I was like, gosh, that's a great question because I haven't been asked that. And I said, you know, sometimes the difficulty isn't skill. The difficulty is the emotional piece that comes with it. You know Sophia Weaver. Yes. That was one of the dolls that I did. And I interviewed her. Oh, did you? Natalie Weaver is. She's awesome. Like hero status. I just, when you talk about what she's been through. Yeah. And I remember when she first reached out, she was a little bit hesitant, you know, kind of like, but if you can't do it, that's fine. And I was like, no, no, I want to do this. You know, and I always tell people, remember that I try as hard as I can. It's not exact, but I'm going to really give it a shot. And that doll took me, I mean, granted it was difficult, but in terms of like an emotional difficulty, I had a really hard time with hers. And it took me almost a week mm. to make Sophia's doll when it should not have taken that long. And that's what I said to this little girl was, sometimes it's difficult for my heart that that's the difficult piece. There's this photographer that I follow, Joel Sartori, and, and he photographs actually animals. 
My kids and I were watching this video that he did on animals that are nearly extinct. And one of the things he says in the opening is, we won't save what we don't love. And I think about that with these kids, you have to be able to look, and that's one of the reasons why I post photos. You have to look into the face of this child to fall in love and decide, okay, this matters to me. We have to do something different. And I think that that's been kind of the power behind a doll like me is the photos of these kids and their dolls. You can't not look into the face and say, this doesn't matter. I don't even remember what my original thing was, but yeah, I think emotionally, some of these weigh heavier. There's one that I just, the grandma emailed me yesterday and said that the little girl died oh. and she got her doll two months ago. I quickly did it because we knew that this was the end. And emotionally, I thought about that little girl all day. And um, those are tough. Those tend to be the more difficult ones from an emotional level, not skill. But I think that, you know, we have to be able to hear these stories. We have to look at these kids to care and to decide we need something different. And I think that, again, that's been the power behind a doll like me is it shows there's something different and it shows what impact it makes on these kids. And you are. I'm just so happy to have met you virtually and to talk a little bit. I, I appreciate you doing this. You know, I don't do podcasts yeah. typically, but I've actually followed you for a while. And in fact, I told parents, I was like, you know, you really should follow this. It's right up your alley. So I was really glad. There's certain ones that I'm like, it's not necessarily a good fit. This was a really good fit because I think yeah. that we were really aligned with what we... It seems like did. it, although we're, we're different, but kindred spirits, I suppose. A lot of what I do with nonprofits is get help to come up with plans for monetization, which means expansion. You're not interested in that, but that's... I, and I hate the part about the money because well, I never want people to feel like it comes down to money. But the fact is, is I have to sustain this. This is an interesting thing. I challenged the founders, a man and a woman team who founded an organization actually that works to try to heal families whose husbands have had uh, pornography addictions. They were poking along as the founders for about five years. And then they pulled me in to say, well, what are we gonna do? And they felt guilty about the money part. Well, we wanna give this away. And my challenge to them was, you can't expand your mission if you don't have that margin. You have to have that. Get rid of that guilt, move forward because the world needs you. So the more you operate like a business, them, not you, but to get this out there, your message out there, you don't have to make a cent off it, but to expand it, then the more couples and, and men in particular are going to benefit from what you do. They accepted that challenge and I've been working with them now for a number of years. They brought on a CEO. Well, why would they bring on a CEO? So that they could expand that. They, again, they don't make any money and it's their vision that's going forward because it's it's important and, and they had to let go of the whole thing of just keeping it free as a service. You got to have that margin and what a wonderful thing you're doing with those dollars. Even if you personally don't benefit, the kids are benefiting because of what you're doing, right? That's why where yeah. I get pulled in is on the monetization of nonprofits, but you already have a funding stream. Well, that's the part that, and I, and I think that that's one of the things we, we just had a board meeting last week oh, and that was one of the things we talked about was how is this going to sustain itself as we go forward it's been 
great so far, but how do we ensure that then I'm not having to say, okay, I have to go back to, I'm sorry, there is a cost attached to this, you know? This is not my, I'm out of my comfort zone when I talk about the money piece. Yeah. Because, you know, I feel that this is something we owe these families. On the other hand, I'm spending sometimes five hours a day. I have to have something. It's funny because like sometimes I'll ask someone to come watch my little one before all of the COVID. And they're like, well, I usually charge $10 an hour. And I'm thinking, I don't even make $10 an hour. (laughs) 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 So it's like a loss for me. (laughs) Well, again, you're you're doing wonderful things. You're in it for the right reasons. And it would be fun for you to end up where you could have somebody worry about the money so that you don't have to. And so you can just continue what you're doing. And that's the fun part with the nonprofits is you really can have your cake and eat it too. Nonprofits are wonderful. I'm glad you said that because I'm not going to lie. There's days that I think I never should have done that direction. It's a lot of work, but... Let me tell you something. Rise is big. I have 3,000 employees. We're a $100 million nonprofit organization in five states. I never had any idea that we would ever be that big. My wife, in fact, when I founded it, thought it was something I would do until I got a real job. So, I mean, I don't run it anymore. I haven't for quite a while. I have my number two is now the CEO. I've put him in a CEO position. Is this MBA dynamic going out there doing it? I'm kind of that heart and vision. I would give stuff away, right? I'm kind of like you in many ways. I don't work for money. I work for the emotional return. But yet I thought about it because of people like him, we've been able to take that vision and expand it now for all those people. That's what I'm hoping to do with some of these other nonprofits and have done is to expand them out so the world can see the benefit of the nonprofit organization. And often it's a matter of skill sets and putting people on the bus that have the skill set to champion it. You're not a business person, don't be it. Your husband isn't a business person. He shouldn't be either. A member of your board probably ought to be, you know, et cetera. I mean, I am. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you how to run your business and that's none of my business. No, I, you don't, no, don't even, I totally appreciate that. No, I, and it's actually, it's very validating to hear. Please don't worry about that. The good thing of it is, is you don't have to be anybody else other than you. That's the fun part. You know, I I just did a a training thing uh, a while back, a national webinar, and I talked about this very issue about identifying a team's talents. Well, in your case, it's you and it would be your board. What do they bring? Who do we need? And then to have people not feel guilty that if they're not an entrepreneur, they shouldn't feel guilty about not being an entrepreneur. If they're a manager, then hallelujah, we need managers, we need entrepreneurs, leaders, we need accountants, you know, all that kind of stuff. But to have those people on board all working in that same direction, often I've done this like you, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm not that mean. I didn't get an MBA, right? I mean, my background is I'm, I'm a school psychologist. Oh, are you? Interesting. And then I got bought out of the school system, which isn't really hard, as you probably well know, to work with people with disabilities. And I didn't even know one. Nobody in my family had a disability or and nobody in my wife's family. We married late. My wife actually is an MSW. She has twin masters, oh. marriage and family and, and social work. So we're kind of like you and your husband. You're like us. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, right? So I start this organization that I told you what my wife said. 
all these wonderful people come into my life. And then so we expand and, and expand out. And so now I get to do stuff like orange socks and talk about people like you. So how good is that, right? I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome. I've been doing this now for 30, 33 years, not orange socks, but you know, working in this space and I've had a great life. And I love to see the impacts of what you do, of what I do on people's lives. And I love the fact of changing people's perceptions just a little bit, that it's okay to walk up to somebody with a funny looking kid and say, how come your kid looks like that? Anyway. I always say, how crazy is it that I get to change mindsets with a doll? Exactly. Like I think, isn't that wild that a doll is on a global stage of advocacy and I think the eight-year-old version of me would have been like oh I totally because I loved dolls I took dolls everywhere the eight-year-old would have been like yeah I already knew that the adult version is like how wild is that and how lucky am I to still I get to play with dolls every day isn't that fun you know that is fun you've been wonderful thank you what an honor to talk to you likewise I, I just am like overwhelmed is a word that I use a lot in a good way yeah. But I, you know, it, it's a genuine, this happened very quickly in a way that I never expected. Again, you know, I try to balance, especially with my little one. I don't want to miss this time with her too. So I think a lot of things may happen, you know, when she's a little bit older. Yep. If we ever go back to school, who knows, right? I think, okay, when she's in kindergarten or first grade, you know, who knows? That's the thing I've discovered is the fun thing about life is just being open to it because you have no idea what you say today. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. Plan all you want, but it's a kind of a waste of time. So I, what started the media, I actually have a GoFundMe yeah. and I was their hero of December a year ago. And I remember my parents were visiting from California and I said to my mom, you know, the article goes out tomorrow. And for the first time in my life, I'm just going to have faith because I'm a very controlled I like to know what's gonna happen right and I'm like I'm just gonna let this one I'm gonna have the faith that it's gonna unfold like it should and I'm like okay maybe I shouldn't have been that explicit maybe I shouldn't have said that <laughs> because she's like be careful what you say be careful what you you know put your faith in and, and, and it's true it unfolded in a way that I never imagined in a good way yeah. but who knows what happens when you say I'm just gonna let it happen this yeah. is a very good example of what happens, <laughs> you know. Amy, you're awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate Amy taking the time to talk with me. I felt a connection with her and with a doll like me. Amy has been interviewed by all kinds of outlets. Just search the internet for a doll like me and you'll see what I mean. While surfing, you will find her GoFundMe page. Please go there and make a generous donation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.